Well, New Life Midtown, it is good to be together, clearly. Let's make our way toward our seats. I have a few brief announcements, and then Pastor Jade has the word of the Lord today. Friends and family who are here for the child dedications, it is good to have you with us. We have our chatty Cathy's to my right, to your left. <laughs> Guys, I have three very brief announcements. The first one is that it has been a long time in the waiting, but New Life Worship just released on Friday its most recent album called Over It All. It is fantastic. And the first three songs we did this morning are from that album. So if you're like, huh, I never heard these before and I really like them. Well, fortunate for you, you can now find them wherever you listen to music. Search uh, New Life Worship or Over It All and it should pop up. But those songs are on there. They, I think, are graced and anointed for such a time as this. So I'd really encourage you to download. Also, next Sunday is Palm Sunday, which means we are launching into Holy Week. And we are joining Good Friday, which will be August, the f or August, April, the other A month. See, I just wanted to get you on the same page. April the 15th, Friday will be Good Friday, and we are joining New Life Downtown at Palmer High School at 6.30 p.m. I'd encourage you to come, and I'd encourage you to come a few minutes early because it is downtown, and parking downtown is a little more difficult than us here at Midtown. So please put that on your calendars. And then two days later, we will be, uh, we will be celebrating Resurrection Sunday, Easter. Yeah, we will be. Amen, Brother Aaron. And as per usual, we are having a breakfast. So I'd like to tell you two things. One, if you come to first service, which most of you do, plan to stay late. And if you come to second service normally, plan to, to come early. There will be a breakfast between services. And then also this morning, every couple of chairs had one of these drop invite cards. Please pick one up and prayerfully consider who you might invite on Easter Sunday. Now, let me tell you what an invitation is not. It is not putting this on the keyboard of the colleague that you dislike the most, hoping that the Lord will redeem them through this drop card. No, 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 no. We believe in the power of personal invitation. So please just utilize this as a way to face-to-face -face invite someone at your work, at your gym, wherever you visit, and the Lord may place someone on your heart. So please take this. There are more at the Welcome Center out here in the lobby if you'd like to take a handful. Pastor Jade. Please come preach the word of the Lord. It, it just occurred to me that if you're nervous at all about giving an invite to someone because of the way you've been living around them, it might just be a little conviction. <laughs> Tidy up that life a little bit, y'all know what I'm saying? So, you know, the Lord speaks through everything, even through drop cards. Friends, I got two quick announcements that I also want to make. They're a little bit different in nature. And then I'm going to ask if you would join me in praying for someone who uh, just got pretty severely injured last night. So I want to bring that to the family, and then we'll jump into the Word. And I'm going to make this very quickly. The first is we have baptisms that are coming up in two weeks, three weeks, right? Yeah, so next week is Palm Sunday, then Easter. So the Sunday after Easter, if we have enough demand in the house for people who want to be baptized for the first time then we will go through 
uh, the coordinating procedures to make sure that we will baptize people in this house. And let me just say, say this. Baptism is not kind of just a, an add-on to your Christian life. Historically, throughout, uh, all from, from the time that Jesus has resurrected and the church has been established, baptism has become one of those rites of initiation that God does something very, very unique and powerful by his spirit in the waters of baptism. And we'll explain that more for those of you who become baptism candidates. But let me just say, in the, in the book of Acts chapter 2, some of you may remember this story. Peter gets up on the day of Pentecost, preaches this fiery message, announces the gospel. People are convicted to their bones. And they go, what, what do we do now with this? And Peter's response is, number one, repent. By the grace of God, choose to change the direction and the course of your life, which can only happen by the grace of God. And then the second thing he says is, and be baptized, every one of you, that the gift of the Holy Spirit may come upon you and upon your children. So there is something that is ratifying. There is something that is galvanizing. There is something of the work of the Spirit that happens in a unique way in the waters of baptism. Not, not the least to say is that when we put our faith on display outwardly and publicly, we are saying we stand with the company of the redeemed. God has touched and saved my life, and I'm standing up publicly to say, guys, hold me accountable, and I I belong to you. I belong, belong to those whom God has changed by the grace of God and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. More to explain about baptism, but I want to I announce to you today, if you've been on the fence, or even if you've been on the fence with saying yes to Christ full on, friend, today is the day of salvation, right? This, this, this world has nothing great to offer you that will not be superseded by the goodness and the greatness of who our God is. Say yes, Say yes to the goodness and the kindness and the mercy of God and count yourself among the fellowship of the redeemed. Okay, so baptism's happening in three weeks. What's happening next week is something that we're calling our legacy offering. So we, we missed this. We didn't announce this last week, but last Sunday was actually the one-year anniversary that Antioch Church merged with the New Life family in Colorado Springs. And thank you, Milan. <laughs> And, and I, happen, I happen to love this merger, and I happen to love this family. It has been good on so many accounts. Uh, many of you know that one of the reasons why we did this is not only we felt the Lord invite us into this, but many of the guys who serve in many of the eight congregations have been colleagues of mine for the past 26 years. So there is a deep relational history that has knit our hearts together. Theologically, our expression of being a charismatic church, but also an evangelical church and also a liturgical sacramental church and seeking to pull all of these together as one. Uh, these guys have been pioneers and forerunners in this. And when Jonathan and I really felt our heart come alive with wanting to pull these three streams of Christianity together in our expression, uh, we found a home in new life and we found welcome and we found acceptance and Honestly, every week it feels like I'm coming home to a big family reunion when I sit together with those guys and, and we pray over all of our eight congregations. I say all that to say that we belong to the New Life family now, right? This is our home. And Pastor Brady has announced at the beginning of January 2022 
that one of the things that the Lord has laid on his heart is that this year would be a year that we eliminate the debt that is on that building up at North. Now, for those of you who are unaware of some of the story, New Life has been in this city for 34 years. And when they expanded that building, they took on millions of dollars of debt. Do you remember the exact number? Was it $26 million? $26 million of debt, which is now down to nine, which is amazing. It's amazing that that $26 million is down to nine and we are believing and we are giving towards that $9 million to be fully eradicated this year, which is going to take a miracle. It's going to take the faithfulness and the generosity of God's people to go above and beyond, but it's also going to take the miracle hand of the Lord to, to, to do something with the Lord's giving and to help us get rid of that. And here's why he wants to get rid of that debt. Number one, there are many of our, in fact, every one of our external congregations besides Nueva Vida, none of us have our own physical building. And last year and the past two years during COVID, downtown suffered, East suffered, Manitou suffered. Thank God that we ourselves were in a five-year lease and we did not suffer during COVID. But it became apparent to all of us, man, without a physical location that we have ownership of, we are at the mercy. We're at the mercy of school boards. We're at the mercy of, 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 of city council. We're at the mercy of whatever they decide we can or cannot do and when we can or cannot meet. And so Pastor Brady is saying, we do not want to be at the mercy of external governing forces anymore. And we want every one of our congregations to have their own physical space in Colorado Springs. Amen. Awesome. And then the second reason why we want to get rid of that debt is because that will free up $1 million a year for us to give to single moms in our city, to give to Ukrainian refugees, to give to expanding and planning churches in Central America. And so I'm on board. I'm saying, yes, Lord, I'm going to give above and beyond the tithe. I'm going to give above and beyond my normal offerings. And I'm going to believe that the Lord is going to eradicate this $9 million in 2022. And so next year or next week, we're taking up a special offering that is above and beyond your normal giving. And we're going to do another one of these in December. So we get two in 2022. One is next week and one is December. And I'm just asking you to seek the Lord and to give as the Lord would lead you to give. This, this, this extra offering will not go to Midtown. It will go specifically and exclusively to help mom and dad up at North pay off the family mortgage so that the kids can get into their own homes. All right? All right. So may the Lord lead you as he does. All right. Can we get into the word today, friends? Before we do that, I, th I said I'm going to ask you to uh, pray with me for somebody very special. I found out last night that my nephew was on the soccer field and was not playing in a game, but as the team captain was cheering on his team and was exerting so much force and intensity on his voice and his vocal box that he actually blew a hole in his subpharynx and his esophagus. Um, it completely altered the tenor of his voice. Mom and dad were, were kind of monitoring it. It lost his voice completely. When it came back, it was completely modulated. And they said, we think we need to take you into the urgent care to see what's going on here. Well, when the urgent care looked at it, they decided to rush him to the hospital in an ambulance because there were some very severe possibilities of what was going on. Number one, uh, there was incredible pressure that was being put on the lungs and on the heart because of the air that was escaping that, that, that esophageal valve. All right, number two, Carmen has asked that we would pray that no infection, because of that hole now of allowing things to enter into that chestal cavity, that there would be no infection that touches his neck or his chest. He's, he's stable now. 
He's in the hospital, stayed there overnight. But uh, we need that hole to close up. That's a really big deal um, without any complications. And we also need for his body to absorb air and to absorb fluid without any problematic issues. So I promised her, she's my sister-in-law, and I promised her that we would, as a family, pray for Joshua. Would you guys join me in praying for my nephew today? Lord, I pray right now for Joshua, and I pray that this hole that is in his subpharynx and his esophagus would seal, and it would seal now in the name of Jesus. Lord, we believe that you are the God who heals and that you are the God of yesterday, today, and forever. And I pray today that the healing hand of our God would touch everything that is happening right here in this neck, right here in the larynx and the subpharynx, God, in the, in the esophagus, in the trachea, God, in the voice box. Lord, I just pray that your hand would just touch and heal and seal that space right now. I pray that his, that his body would absorb air and fluids as it was designed to. And Father, we pray against any form of infection entering into the chest or the lungs or the heart in Jesus' name. This can be life-threatening, and we're standing against it, and we're saying no. Now may the peace of the Lord be upon you, Joshua, and be upon Todd and Carmen and the entire Swank family. We pray that your peace, Lord, would rest, and that where there are any, uh, there's, where there's any type of surgical or invasive procedures that are required, we ask God that you would give every person involved steady hands and that you would give them a sure wisdom for the situation that is involved. And we pray this as a family of believers in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, guys. I really appreciate that. Well, friends, if you're here with us today for the first time, welcome. It's a joy and it's a delight to have you with us today. Uh, My belief and my hope every time that the Lord calls us to gather. Number one, we are gathering in response to the invitation of the Lord. We're not getting together because... It's the cultural thing to do. We're not getting together because we don't have anything else to do on a Sunday morning. We're not getting together to appease our conscience. I believe that every time we gather as a family of believers, we're gathering because God has invited us. He said, come to my house today. I've made a meal for you. I'm I'm bringing the family together and I have something special for you. And I woke up today with that expectation in my spirit that the spirit of the living God himself, the eternal spirit who knows no limitations or boundaries, who knows you better than you know yourself, is here to meet with you and speak to you and heal you and comfort you and give you guidance and peace direction today. There is a now word today. And it's not just coming from my mouth. I'm believing that there is a now word that has already happened in this service that we sang a now word, that we proclaimed a now word over our children, that we're going to come to the table and experience the nowness of God because we don't serve a God who is dead. We serve a God who is alive and has poured out his spirit upon all flesh. So the Lord loves you and he's here to meet with you and he's here to minister to you today. We've been in a series for the past six weeks now on who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Which I think is extremely fitting as... We are going into the season of celebrating the resurrection of Christ and acknowledging and remembering the death of Christ. And so we've had several speakers who have spoken to us about the character and the nature of God the Son, Jesus Christ. Last week, Sidron taught us about the fact that Jesus is our teacher, that Jesus reveals the heart of God. He reveals the nature of the kingdom, that Jesus gives us his spirit the spirit who guides us and leads us into all truth. 
Here for the next few minutes that we have together, I want to talk with you about something that is perhaps one of the most important aspects of who Jesus is in my life. And that is that Jesus is the friend of sinners. Jesus is the friend of sinners. And this is a curious title about who Jesus is because of all the titles that we have looked at thus far, this is actually not a title that Jesus gives himself. It's not a title that God puts on Jesus. It's actually a title that Jesus acknowledges that the people of that community say about him, but they say it about him in a really sarcastic and a snarky way. The title Friend of Sinners is actually meant to be a demeaning title that the people of that time were giving because Jesus spent so much of his time not with the religious folk. Jesus didn't spend his time with the people that were cleaned up and the people that were the the masters of the law. Jesus enjoyed spending time with the common, ordinary person, and particularly he enjoyed spending time with the person who knew they weren't right with God. He enjoyed spending his time with those that were on the margins, the marginalized, the disenfranchised. And we hear this phrase and this term a lot now. And when I was growing up 20, 30 years ago, you didn't hear words like marginalized or disenfranchised or disinherited. You might have if you were in the black community. Howard Thurman wrote about the disinherited 30 and 40 and 50 years ago. But mainstream evangelicalism didn't use words like disinherited. It's really within the past five or 10 years that these words are becoming more commonplace. And that's a good thing. The dangerous thing is when we start using words like marginalized and disinherited and disavowed and people that are disenfranchised to such a degree that it just becomes common where they don't have power anymore. You understand what I'm saying today, church? Talk to me if you can, right? These aren't just labels that we throw out that somehow appease, that appease us in some way, that justify us in some way. God lives on the margins of humanity. God lives on the margins of where people are experiencing brokenness and pain and struggle and disappointment. And where you find the poor, you will find God. Because he's promised to be amongst that people group. Look with me, if you would, in the book of Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 33. I won't go into the entirety of this context, but Jesus is addressing questions that people have about John the Baptist. And Jesus begins talking about a phenomenon that he identifies amongst the people of that time who seem to be frustrated with the way that John is approaching his ministry and the way that Jesus is approaching his ministry. Look what he says in verse 33. He says, For John the Baptist came neither eating nor drinking, and you say he's got a demon. In other words, John was too extreme in his radical devotion of a Nazarite lifestyle of fasting before the Lord. It was too much for people. How many guys are tracking with me right now? John was a voice that was out crying in the wilderness, and he was embodying and he was carrying the spirit of Elijah. He recognized that he had to pull himself out from the culture in order to discern the culture in order to step back into the culture to speak a word of God to the culture. And in so doing, the culture looked at him and said, you're too extreme for us. And then Jesus says, 
That's how you treated John. But then I come, the Son of Man comes, and I enjoy having parties. We find in John chapter 2 that Jesus shows up, and the first miracle that he performs is at a wedding where he actually celebrates with the bride and groom by creating wine out of water. And they say, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, we see you, Jesus. You probably play cards and you dance too, don't you? Right? Everywhere we turn, we find Jesus hanging out with the wrong kind of people. He's with the wrong crowd of people. So here's what they say about Jesus, verse 34. But the Son of Man has come eating and drinking. He's not fasting. You guys remember this story where the Pharisees come to Jesus' disciples and they go, how come y'all don't fast? We, we fast. How come y'all don't fast? Right? What did Jesus say? He said, like, you don't fast. You don't fast during the week of the party. You don't fast. It's not time to fast. The bridegroom is here. It's here. It's time to have fun. It's time to celebrate. But I tell you what, when the bridegroom's gone, you guys fast all you want. It's party time. The kingdom of God is entering into the earth. I'm praying today that in the most spirit-guided way, that there are some things that in every single one of us today, wherever you find yourself in the storyline or wherever you find yourself in the spectrum of what God is addressing today, I pray that every one of us gets shook up a little bit. I pray that every one of us, if you find yourself identifying with the Pharisees, if you find yourself identifying with the tax collector or the sinner, I pray that you just get shook up a little bit today because my assignment is to reveal in a little bit more of a clear manner how much God is in love with the sinner. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't even think that we have the capacity to imagine the affection and the love that God has for people that are far from him, that don't know him, and that have removed themselves. They've disqualified themselves. They have told them so they've bought into the lie and the story that they've done something that is so atrocious that they can never be welcomed back into the community of life and fellowship of faith. And God is saying, I want those people. Those are the people I want at my party. I got to move quickly here. Jesus' scandalous habit, I love that word, a scandalous habit of dining with people who are regarded as sinners was a central characteristic of his public career. Let's, come, let's jump to the text. Go with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 5. By the way, how many of you have dialed in or have seen The Chosen? Anybody ever seen The Chosen? Friends, let me give you a little homework assignment. If you haven't seen it, dial, dial into The Chosen. You can find uh, these episodes on YouTube. If you have seen the episode where Jesus calls Matthew the tax collector, go watch that again. I'm telling you, you will. F- I watched that a couple of weeks ago at my kitchen table, and I just bawled. I bawled, man. See, like seeing someone visually depict the care and the kindness and the fact that Jesus turns and he sees Matt. Whoever that dude is, man, y'all need to give that brother a raise. He's doing it, man. He's making it happen. Luke chapter 5, verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector. Everybody say he saw. He saw. The tax collector was named Levi in Matthew's gospel. His name is Matthew. Matthew and Levi are the same person. Levi was sitting at his tax booth, and Jesus said to him, follow me. And Levi got up, and he left everything, and he followed Jesus. And then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus. Jesus is the guest of honor 
at Levi's banquet. He's a man of affluence. He's a man who's wealthy. And, and who do tax collectors invite to their party? They invite other tax collectors. And here's why. Well, A, tax collectors hang out with tax collectors, but B, you're going to find out because nobody else in the community wanted to hang out with the tax collector. So the only friends that they had were other people that were like them. So Levi holds this great banquet in Jesus' honor and a large crowd, everybody say large crowd of tax collectors. And the NIV says others, others. And I like to throw the air quotes up around others, others. Now in Matthew's gospel, he just flat out names it. In Matthew's gospel, he says that there are tax collectors and sinners that were having dinner with Jesus. And they were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. Notice how the Pharisees always complain to the disciples. They don't have the courage to go talk to Jesus. Why why are your master eating with us? Now come talk. I'm right here, dude. I'm right here. Stop talking out the side of your mouth. Come talk to me. So Jesus steps in and he answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's those who are ill. And who know that they are ill, who have the humility and the consciousness and the wherewithal and the brokenness and the submission to say, I'm sick. I'm sick. I need help. I need to go to the doctor. Yesterday, Carmen was telling me that, and and we all do this to some degree or fashion or form. They're like, well, maybe we'll just hold off. Maybe we'll hold off. And this morning she texted me and she said, Jade, I thank God for the clear voice of the Holy Spirit that kept bugging us and nagging at us and said, you need to take your son in. You need to t- this, this is important. Like, I think that we need to get to that place in our spirituality where we say, I need to go in. I need to go in. This is important. I need to see the physician. There's things that are in my soul I can't heal. I've gone to all the counselors. I appreciate counselors. We need counselors. But I'm telling you today, there's something that I need from you, God. And maybe it comes through counselors. Maybe it comes through the people of God. But I'm recognizing that whatever vessel it's coming from, the source is you. I can't do this on my own anymore. Heal me. Put me back together. Restore me. There's broken places in my life and I need the voice and the hand of God to put my life back together. That's what's going on here. That's what's happening right here. All right, so let me race through this. The first thing about Jesus being a friend of sinners is he sees. I love that verse right there in Luke chapter 5, verse 27. Walk, walk with me again. Jesus is going about, and what does it say? It says he saw a tax collector. Friends, I'm here to announce to you today that Jesus sees you. He sees you. And whatever tax collector booth you may find yourself in and whatever monotonous job that you may hate right now at this season of your life, at whatever part of your story that you like to cover up when you're at parties and you talk about only the good things that are happening in your life, I'm here to announce to you today, Jesus is seeing you. And he sees everything that's about you and he's not walking by and he's not covering his eye, right? He's turning and he sees you. And he sees, watch this, he sees those who are unseen. There are people that are all around us that are quote-unquote unseen. This past week at one of the prayer meetings up at the World Prayer Center, on Wednesday at noon, I was co-leading with Daniel Grothy and Charlie 
Dilcher comes up and he begins to pray out of Acts chapter 3. Well, in Acts chapter 3, we find that there's a man who has been laid at the temple gate beautiful because he was lame from the time he was born. And we're praying into this. We're taking the entire hour of prayer. We're praying for healing for the sick. And then Charlie gets up and he tells this story about a time when he lived in Israel and there was a lady at the temple gate beautiful who was there, who was also lame, who was begging for alms from the people at that very same temple gate beautiful. Charlie begins to share this story and he begins to talk about the fact how people like this often fall into the backdrop. And he just kept saying this word. He says, God, he says, I recognize that she just kind of fell into the backdrop. And that's what happens, I think, in some people. We, we just, we write them off. Their pain is too much for us to process or comprehend, so we've got to categorize them somewhere in our mind, and, and we just throw them into a backdrop that allows us to be able to relate to them in some way. I don't understand your story, so I'm going to throw you into a backdrop. You, you, we, we all have that person that comes up to us, and when they come up, we, we start kind of maneuvering our way out of the conversation. You know what I'm talking about. It's the people that are unseen the people that we don't have the time of day for, the people that we're not sensitive to, the people that we don't have compassion for, they're unseen. Jesus sees the unseen in your life. You may feel like you're unseen today. And I guarantee that if we would take inventory, there are probably people around us that are unseen. They're unseen by us. They just fall into the backdrop. Oh, there's that guy. There's a guy that sits on the corner of Barnes and Powers. He's been there for years. His name is Jay. I know that because one time I rolled up and I brought him two big old large pizzas and hung out and talked with him a little bit. But Jay's been there for years, y'all. And, you know, it's good that I brought him lunch one day, but Jay has fallen into the backdrop of my journey around the research and powers because Jay is still there. And I have not expanded my capacity to have eyes for Jay beyond that one moment of giving him help. Think about who is that in your life? Who is it that maybe you've spoken with once or you've prayed with once or you've been compassionate with once or you've grieved with once and, and, and that is the full capacity that you have for their story or their pain and now they've fallen into the backdrop of being unseen. Jesus not only sees the unseen, he sees, he sees the wrongly seen. He sees the wrongly seen. And I think when you look throughout the Gospels, for those of you who are new to the Gospels, let me encourage you, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and pay attention to how people are wrongly seen in the story. For those of you who might not be aware of what's happening in this moment, the tax collectors, so the Jewish people, the people of Israel, they are living under the domination and the oppression of Rome. Rome is an empire. And they have been conquered. And they're being essentially colonized by Rome. And they're being taxed by the Romans. We're going, to we're going to build roads. We're going to provide schools for you. We're going to teach you. We're going to teach you the Roman language. We're going to basically make you Roman people, but we're going to take your money in order to make this happen. And they did it by exploitation. But, but what made the tax collector in the Jewish culture so utterly despised is that the Romans would find Jews and they would recruit them and give them a measure of authority and power to be their you know, they'd be their Vinny. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> to, to be the one who go, to be their collectors, right? And then the Jewish people who probably grew up with these tax collectors playing t-ball together or go, going to 
go, going to the park together, going fishing together. Now, all of a sudden, they've been endowed with the measure of power and authority, and they're abusing their own people by an oppressive government's power to take more than is necessary from their own people. They were hated, friends. They were hated. So whenever you see tax collectors in the store, you'll find this in Luke chapter 3. John the Baptist, particularly, he calls out tax collectors. And you tax collectors, you know what you need to do to be safe? Don't take more money than is necessary. We find this in the story of Zacchaeus. Wee little man, and the wee little man was he. Climbs up on the sycamore tree, right? He's a tax collector. Everyone hated him. Like his disciples were questioning Jesus. Wait, wait, hold on. Oh, okay, listen. Uh, We're fishermen. It's okay. But you ain't bringing a tax collector up in this bunch. And Jesus is saying that there is not one person that is beyond the grasp of my invitation. Listen to this, friends. Listen to this. This is sensitive, and I'm not going to expound on this. And I'm going I'm to use cryptic language for the adults in the room, but I think this might be for someone. You know, like when you enjoy relations with another person of the opposite gender, and you do that frequently enough, like life is created. Are you tracking with me? And some people have the choice on what to do with that life. And some people have made a choice that you utterly regret and you've lived with. And I might be talking to someone in the room or someone on the camera, but listen to me. You are not beyond the scope of Jesus's invitation for you. You are not beyond his healing power to put your life back together. You are not beyond the scale or the grasp of his grace, friends. If he can do it for the tax collector, he can do it for you. Now, let me just share this other historical, socio-historical point to eat a meal with someone in that culture, you know what it said? It said we're friends. To sit down with a meal meant I accept you. I accept you just where you are. And you belong. You belong with me and I belong with you. Right? It's not, it's, it's not like, you know, we have these community tables. I love Urban Egg. Urban Egg is one of my favorite breakfast joints in the town. But you know what I don't love? I don't love that community table. Like if you show up late at Urban Egg and every table, every booth is, is locked up, you got to go sit at that community table. And that, you're going to be sitting there with like six or seven, eight or other people. And it's okay. Like we're eating, we're eating together. No one's thinking anything about it. But in the Jewish culture, if you were to sit down at a table with another person, it says, I endorse you. I endorse you. It says, I, you, it says you belong. It, it says, I accept you. Right where you are, with everything that you're doing. Now think about how scandalous this is. Jesus goes to the person that everyone in the community hates and despises. This guy chooses to throw a banquet for Jesus, and Jesus full well knows, what is the community going to say if I go to his house? They're going to say, are you, are, are you just in this for the money? Are you one of those prosperity preachers, Jesus? Are you just doing this because you need a handout from Matthew? Are you just doing this because you're trying to be elevated among a certain type of people? But like, the judgments and the labels and the accusations are flying off the handle. But here's what Jesus understands. Jesus understands that by me going into Levi's house, by the way, 
When else and where else is Jesus going to have a captive audience with every tax collector in town? You want to talk about strategic evangelism. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. It's like finding the drug cartel. It's like trying to, trying to find, finding like, you know, the drug lord going, hey, you're coming to my house. Because why? Because everybody who's associated in his network is going to come with him or vice versa. And that's what Jesus is concerned about. Notice that Jesus doesn't come in there like saying, hey, listen, guys, I'm going to have dinner with you. But first, y'all need to realize, y'all need to realize that I'm, I mean, he, he, he doesn't put any disqualifiers out there. N- none of them. N- notice that Jesus doesn't sit down and eat with them and, and sit on the other side of the table. He's right in the mix with them. Notice that Jesus is comfortable with them without losing his convictions. Notice this. Notice that the people are comfortable with him. What does that say about Jesus? Like there are some of us, we just get weird. We get weird. Like a spirit of weird gets on us. Like we don't know how to be human and normal around. Oh, they, 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 they said a dirty joke. What do I do? Do I laugh? Do I not laugh? What, what do I do right here? Just, just be you. You ain't got to throw a, a Bible verse. Jesus doesn't quote the Torah. He doesn't say, now you know the spirit of wisdom says in the book of Proverbs. I mean, he doesn't, doesn't say any. He doesn't preach the gospel to them. He doesn't do any of this. You know what he does? He reclines at the table and he has enough security in himself that the goodness and the persona of God in me coming into the middle of sinners is going to draw them and attract them to the goodness of God. You don't have to hook the fish every time you put the line in the water. Are you hearing me today? Sometimes, sometimes you might just have to go to their house over and over and over and over again, and they recognize and they realize, man, Brother Rex, love, he sees me. He knows. He loves me. He cares about me. And then when something falls out, when something bottoms out, when the, when the marriage is going through something difficult, when they just got laid off of their job unjustly, when, when, when someone accused them wrongly, and then all of a sudden, there, there you are. You've always been here, and you've never judged me, and you knew what I was doing with my life, and you knew I was sleeping around before I got married, and you never said one word. And now tell me about this. Tell me about this. Tell me about this life. Tell me about this gospel. Friend, my prayer is that Midtown would become a family of a friend of sinners family of a friend of sinners. All right, Jonathan, if you would come up. I have cut this message drastically short today. I should do part two next week. <laughs> oh, friends, will you stand with me this morning? If you are here today and you identify with the tax collector and the sinner and you would say, I don't belong at this table. I know it's just a plastic cup, but it means, it means something to me. And I, I can't go down into those waters of baptism because I'm not good enough or I'm not ready enough. Can, would you just allow me to, to address that for a second, friends? Because Jesus tells this parable, we don't have time to go into it right now, but he tells this parable about a man throwing a banquet. There's a king throwing this massive banquet. 
And he throws out invitations to all of his friends around the city. And one by one, every one of these guys are saying, oh, I wish I could, but I just, I just, just bought some land. I got to take care of this land. Or I'm, I'm, re- I'm renovating my home and I can't come to your, your banquet. Or I just got a dog and I'm trying to train this dog. I mean, all these excuses, right? Exactly. And so then the king goes, all right, hey, guys, I, I'm throwing this massive banquet. The food is going to be par excellence, man. It's going to be off the... It's going to be some of the best food that's ever been served in this city. And I don't want to have all this food and all this. I brought out the best silverware. I don't want, I don't want this place to be empty. And so he goes, he goes to his servants and says, go, just go out there and go wherever you just go to the dirtiest places of town. Go to the hardest places. Go to the roughest places. Go to the places where people don't, like, they're not the kind that we usually invite into the king's house. Bring them in. Bring them in. Bring them all. I want my house full. And you know what that story is? That story is a revelation of the heart of the Father. And he's saying, no one is exempt and no one is disqualified. But pastor, but pastor, do you know? Yes, yes, he knows. And he wants them at his table. It's not your job to convict people of sin. It's not your job to make people feel guilty. The Holy Spirit doesn't make people feel guilty. Right? It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict people of sin. It's not your job to clean people up. It's not your job to sanctify people. It's not your job to tell them where they're supposed to stand, all right? Be a shining light. Be a friend of sinners. Be consistent in your goodness, right? Be a sinner who's been redeemed by the goodness and the grace of God. and Let that spill out to everybody that's around you. And you know what's going to happen? The Holy Spirit's going to work through your life, and people are going to come to the Lord. And people are going to get cleaned up. And you can't sit back with your, with your proud, arrogant finger and wave at anybody, right? He's, he's, he's going to completely take that away from us. He's going to say, I got this. You be faithful to me, and I will be faithful to them through your life. He wants a full house, friends. He wants a full house. Friends, you are all welcome at this table. I know different churches have different postures on this, but when I read the stories about who Jesus is, He wants every person to come to this table. Do you know why? Because his presence is uniquely felt in a real and powerful way at the bread and at the cup, the body and the blood. So I'm inviting all of you. Would you please come and would you please receive of the goodness of God that is expressed in Holy Communion today? You can exit on your left. You can receive the elements and you can come back to your seat on the right.
Friends, this is the really the best moment of our service to proclaim and announce and to make clear the gospel, which is good news. The good news has been all over this service, but I'm going to explicitly announce to you the good news. You know what the good news is? Yes. The good news very simply is that God created you to feast and to fellowship with you. That because of our own sinful choices, we chose to walk away from the banqueting table of God. We chose to kind of figure it out on our own and eat the scraps of sin in our humanity. And the good news is God is saying, why are you out there? Come back home. You belong in my house. You belong at my table. You belong in my eyes. The good news is the Father loves you. And the good news is there is nothing that you or I have done or ever done or will ever do that is beyond the power of his grace to clean and redeem our lives by what he has made possible on the cross by dying in our place. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in this, that they would have the life of God invade them now, now that you would experience newness of life now, that you would experience the lightness of being forgiven of your sins, that you would experience the Holy Spirit himself entering and taking residence, God himself taking residence within the temple of your life now, friends. I'm not talking about when you die. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about now. You can experience newness of life now by saying, Jesus, I receive. Friends, you know what the truth of the matter is? We were all sinners. And Jesus has befriended all of us in the cross. And he says, I want to come dine with you every day and every moment. So can we just say yes? Uh, Holy Spirit, right now in the epiclesis, do what only you can do right now. Holy moment, sacred moment, and body and cup, Oh, Holy Spirit, make this, make this unto us now, the very real presence of God. Make this grace to us now. Make this an encounter now. Make this grace poured out upon us now. Make this a moment of forgiveness and cleansing and covering and sanctifying and sealing right now in this holy moment of the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. Spirit of the living God, come. Come, Holy Spirit. You sense the Spirit of God right now, church? He's near to you. Experience the love of God now, church. Experience the voice of God, the acceptance of God, the welcoming of God, the comforting of God. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body and it is broken for you. Take and eat. Friends, let us receive the body of Christ. Thank you. Thank you. Then he took the cup and he says, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. My blood is being poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. And now the declaration of absolution is, friends, your sins have been forgiven. 
not because you're here today, not because you've done something good, but because Christ died for you. You're forgiven. Live as free ones. Let's receive the cup. I believe it. I believe it. I believe I've been forgiven and freed and delivered and saved. And I believe you have been too in the name of Jesus. Let's clap our hands to the Lord today. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord God Almighty. I think that was worth the extra six minutes, don't y'all? Come on, let's sing a song of thanksgiving. Thank you, God. All blessings come from your hand, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Midtown, I bless you today. I bless you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that the goodness of God would shine on you, that it would radiate upon you. I bless you to go be a friend of sinners. I bless you to experience table fellowship with the least of these. I bless you to be a host this week. Take somebody out to coffee, invite them to lunch, have them over to your house. I bless you to be a guest this week. Maybe someone's inviting you over and you say yes for the first time and you bring the shalom of God into their space. I bless you to be a guest and I bless you to know that you're a favored one, a beloved son and daughter whom the Lord cherishes deeply. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you and may he be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace today in the name of Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go into this world in the Spirit of God. Amen.